Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Listen, we're in this series called Real Talk. And the purpose of this series, the goal that we're believing God to accomplish is that we get everybody that calls New Beginnings their home. This is your church. This is where God has led you. And those that watch uh, online and and follow us from all over the state, and in some points we hear reports even across the country, that we want to make sure that everybody's on the same page as it pertains to specific biblical doctrines, important things, things that we cannot afford to get wrong. For instance, we started out this series talking about salvation. Salvation is something we can't get wrong. It can't be a matter of, well, I see it this way or I see it that way. No, we need to know what the Bible says. And so we started out the series talking about salvation. That weekend, we saw dozens and dozens of people in every service, either they're giving their lives to the Lord for the first time or recommitting them and rededicating their lives to the Lord. Then we talked about what is our purpose. And, and I'm just telling you this to kind of like, stimulate your appetite to go. If you haven't been here for these weeks and we've been in this series, please go online and listen to the messages. We talked about what our purpose is. What does the Bible say that our purpose is? Then last two weeks, we talked about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the most important person to us right now in our lives. Amen. Because the Holy Spirit is the, uh, the administrator of the church. It's the Holy Spirit who is here on earth, kind of like taking the plans of God from heaven and revealing them to us here. And so we talked at length about the person of the Holy Spirit that first week we talked about it and talked about the different things that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do in our lives on an everyday basis. Then last week we tackled a a subject that's kind of like been very controversial uh, throughout the churches, uh, throughout the church's history for that matter, and that's the subject of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say about the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And last week was a powerful weekend. I don't know if you were not here, man, you missed it. Uh, go listen to the messages. We saw over 50 individuals come forth in all the services to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What a powerful weekend, okay? And if you don't have any clue of what I'm talking about, you need to go listen to the message, okay? This week, we're talking about finances. And you're going, dun, 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 yeah. And, and please, if, if, if you've had that kind of attitude, like, oh, here we go again, you know, there's another preacher going to talk about money. Hey, hey listen, who's going to talk about this? We got to talk about it here. If we can't talk about it in church and talk about what the Bible says about finances, how are we going to clear up all the, the, the wrong teaching that we've been entertaining, the junk? Some of you may have been raised up in denominations where they taught you that money is evil and God doesn't want you to have anything and all this other kind of stuff. And that's a bunch of baloney. The Bible doesn't teach anything like that. And so we're going to find out today, what does the word of God say about finances? How does, what's God's view about it? Does he hate money? Is he willing to meet our needs? Does he really care about the things? Because it's, guess what? You know, if, if your stomach cramped up when I mentioned finances, you need this teaching more than anybody. Okay? Look, God knows that this is an important subject to us. So why well, don't we should talk about it in church? Why not? You're going to talk about it after church. Some of you are going to go to breakfast today. You're going to go to lunch today. And what are you going to talk about? How much your mortgage is. How long you have car payment. I don't know. My electric bill went so sky high. I don't know. You know, it's so cold this winter. My heating bills are ridiculous. That's what you talk about. God knows that. He knows that we need finances to live on this planet. He knows that we have bills to pay. We've got houses to live in. We've got mortgages to take care of. All this, we've got kids to raise. He knows all these things. Let me ask this question. How many of you here today uh, want to do good for your families? Let me see your hands. 
okay? Well, where do you think that came from? Where do you think that's not, because normally as, as human beings, we're selfish. Turn to somebody and say, you're selfish. <laughs> we are naturally self-centered. God has to tell us to be nice to one another. God's got to tell us to love one another. He's got to tell you. Imagine he's got to tell us these things. He's got to tell us to bless one another. He's got to why? Because it doesn't come natural. Okay? We're, we're always going to be concerned about ourselves in our own natural state. But God is a good father. And he cares about us because the little bit that we have in us that we care for our children, care for our families, care for our loved ones, we want to provide for them. We want to do the best we can. Where do you think that came from? That came from the heart of God. That came from, the, he created us in his image and in his likeness. So when we have that compassion for somebody, when we have that desire to maybe step up for a cause and, and try to help a group of individuals or families or some or orphans or the homeless, where do you think that comes from? That comes from the heart of God. He desires to meet the needs of others through, through you and through me, amen? amen. So, so let's tackle some of these lies. Is it true that God hates money. Well, you know, Pastor, the Bible says, you know, that money's the root of all evil. No, honey, you misquoted that scripture. You misquoted that scripture. First Timothy chapter six, verse ten says, "Why don't we read the first few few, verse, few words together? Ready? One, two, three. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money. And look what it goes on to say. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. Could you imagine what a, what a horrible thing to happen to an individual's life?" You mean to tell me an obsession with money, an obsession with things, an obsession for material greed and things of this nature would cause you to wander away from the one who died on the cross for you? The one who shed his blood, the one who suffered, who only suffered on the cross but went into hell to, as payment for your sins and my sins, and an obsession with money would get us to diminish that relationship? That's horrible. And look what it says. And what happens when a person wanders from the faith because they're obsessed with things and money? They pierce themselves with what? Many griefs. And we all know people like that. Might be sitting in here today. <clears throat> you can't love money and love people. You can't love money and love God. You've got to have your priorities right. Okay? But now, God's not afraid of money. I don't know if you, if you understand that. He's not opposed to us having money, but he's very much opposed to money having us. That's what that scripture was talking about. So we're going to talk today about having right priorities. We're going to talk today about putting God in the, right, in the correct light, in the right perspective when it comes to these things. Now, God has never been afraid and never, has never been intimidated by individuals who had money. Think about Abraham. Abraham, the friend of God. Okay? Genesis chapter, chapter 13 says this. Abraham was what? Come on, come on. Abraham was what? Very rich. Not just a little Very rich. Very rich in what? In livestock, in silver and gold. Very rich. Now, some individuals, if you don't really study the scriptures right, and let the word talk to you, let the Bible talk to you, you think, well, yeah, well, God made Abraham rich. No, no, honey. Abraham was already rich. Watch this now. When God called Abraham, even archaeology attests to this and historians attest to this, Abraham was a well-known businessman in the area that he came from. And, and, and the area he came from is what they call Mesopotamia. Well, who knows that anymore? I don't even think they use that term in history books anymore. It was this area of southern Iraq, the area of Kuwait, which today has a lot of very rich individuals. Okay, they're not rich in livestock, but they're rich in oil and silver and gold. 
Okay, so Abraham gets called out here. He's already a well-known businessman, already prosperous, already has servants and livestock and silver and gold and all this other stuff. But now watch this. He becomes extremely wealthy after he hooks up with God. Why? You see, because you can have wealth and it not be connected to God's purpose and you might as well be a pauper because you're not gonna accomplish anything with it. But when you have wealth that gets connected with the purpose of God, now you've got something going on in life. And we see that Abraham's life goes to a completely different level once he connects with God, amen? Now, it goes on to say in, in the verse five of that same, that same chapter, it says that his nephew Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possess. look at this, for their possessions were so great that they couldn't dwell together. Could you imagine having so much stuff that you got to tell your in-laws, you know what, you need to move, you need to take your stuff and go, because we got too much stuff between the two of us. You notice it didn't scare God, he still involved himself in their lives. It didn't intimidate, it didn't cause God to say, your wealth is just a stench in my nostrils. No, no, money and wealth and prosperity has never intimidated God, especially when it's used for the right purpose. Are you hearing me today? I'm trying to raise our level of awareness here. What about King David? King David, you ever studied King David's life? King David got to the point in his life just before he, he, just before he passes, that he had so much wealth, so much gold, so much silver, so much bread, so much stuff that he had, uh, he had, he had just amassed this, this, this wealth, and it's supposed to go for the temple, that they stopped counting it, they started weighing it. Could you imagine? Could you imagine you go to the bank and say, you know what, we can't count your account anymore, we can't count it anymore, we're just gonna weigh it from now on. We're just, we know how much a stack of hundreds weighs, so we're just going, as you bring your money and we're just gonna weigh it. That's how much wealth he had. D- did it stop? God from getting involved in David's life? No, no. What about Solomon, his son? Wealthiest man that ever lived up until modern times. Wealthiest man, did it stop God from getting involved in Solomon's life? Absolutely not. God has never been been worried about somebody having wealth as long as that wealth did not pose a problem in their relationship. God's not concerned about you getting too much as long as what you're using is helping somebody. And we're gonna see that, we're gonna see that. By the time we're done today, you're gonna see Wealth minus God is a curse, but wealth connected to God is a complete blessing because it not only blesses you, it blesses everyone around you. In fact, that's when you know your prosperity is a result of the blessing of God when it spills over out of your life and it starts to affect the people around you. You see, you're not excited about it yet. No, no, there's a reason for that, because you see, you have swallowed the devil's lies, say, well, that might be for Pastor Joe, or that might be for this one, or for that, but you know, that could ever be in my life. Uh, honey, you haven't tapped into that yet. I, I hope that by the time we leave today, that you're dreaming bigger, you're believing bigger, you're, 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 you're willing and able and ready to step out on anything that God tells you to do that's gonna cause you to be put in a position where you're gonna be able to affect entire groups of people's lives. Are you listening to me? That's the real talk about, about wealth and that's the real talk about finances. Now, now, have people abused things? Absolutely. People will abuse things, but that doesn't mean that God is against you having something and God is against promoting you and God's against you stepping into a career or, or finding about, just discovering an invention or discovering a product or discovering a service that's gonna make somebody else's life better and, and by doing that, you're gonna bring wealth into your household so that not only are you blessed and your family's blessed, but you'll be able to bless thousands of other people. Wouldn't that be an awesome idea? 
when that being awesome thing to happen, wouldn't you love to be able to have your needs met, have money put aside for the generations after you're gone, and still be able to bless entire communities of people? All right. Well, you know, Pastor Jesus was poor. Uh, really? He was poor? Okay. You know why you think Jesus is poor? Because every time Hollywood makes a biblical movie, they always have everybody dressed in rags. Did you ever notice that? It's so quick that everybody go to Goodwill to buy this stuff. Rags. Everybody's walking around in town. You ever seen movies like even with Abraham? Abraham, very rich in livestock, silver and gold, but can't buy himself an outfit. <laughs> Think about it. They've always got everybody walking around like they just like rolled around in the dirt, rolled around in the dust, they're all dirty, wearing gauze bandages instead of clothes. And that's where we get this, this religiously brainwashed idea, well, Jesus was poor. Well, if Jesus was poor, let me ask you this question, okay? Just uh, humor me. I don't know. I have a weird way of looking at things. When you were born, who showed up at your house with gold bullion? Come on. Don't get, don't get crazy on me now. Listen to me. Did, who showed up at your house and said, listen, I just happen to have like a couple million dollars in gold. Uh, you know, I want to bring it to the baby. No, oh, you're wearing $3 outfits from Walmart. <laughs> yes or no? Okay. Well, well, this is what happens. We, we read the Christmas story, and then we forget about it. Well, why do you think the wise men brought gold? Why do you think they were inspired to bring gold? Okay, you, re- you don't remember the history of what happened right after that? It's just days later that an angel appears to Joseph and says to Joseph, get your wife, get that baby, get out of here. They're going to try to kill him and go to Egypt. Well, let me ask you this question. You think a Jew is safe in Egypt? back then? Do you think a Jew was safe in Egypt today? So how is this Jew who's a carpenter going to earn a living in a community that despises him, doesn't want him there? You think they're going to buy any of his chairs? They're going to buy any of his tables? How's he going to support his family? They got gold to live on for a few years. You see how practical God is? Come on. Do you see God? And you think God doesn't care about you? God cared enough that knowing what was going to happen sent the provision before they even needed it. Okay? All right, so Jesus grows up and then he becomes poor. There's no indication anywhere of that. So it tells us that they were, the Gospels, if you go study the Gospels, will tell you that there were wealthy women that supported Jesus' ministry. Okay? They saw value in what he was doing. They were willing to invest what they had into this man's life who was changing the world. Okay? Now watch this. If you've ever been in business, maybe you'll understand what I'm talking about. How would you like to have a business or an organization, in this case, Jesus' ministry, that has so much wealth coming in that you've got an embezzler on your board that's robbing money, and you'll still have enough money left over to support the families of every one of the apostles that follow him in the ministry? You didn't think about that one, did you? Well, let me ask you another question. If Jesus was so dirt poor and he did walk around with tattered rags on, how come the Roman soldiers were gambling for his clothes at the foot of the cross? Don't believe this right now. Now, let's balance this out. Did Jesus walk around with, with gold bracelets and five rings on, the, on each hand? Did he drive around a limo? No. But did he have what he needed to accomplish what God called him to do? Absolutely. When he needs, when he needs to pay taxes, Peter, go in the lake, catch that first fish, open its mouth, there's the, there's the money. Pay the taxes for you and for me. You remember that? Hey, when he needed to feed multitudes, what happened? He had the ability to produce 
miraculously enough food to feed 15,000 people, okay? When they needed a donkey to ride into Jerusalem, guess what? Ran the donkey, came on, just right there. He had everything he needed. You listening to me? Start opening your eyes. Start, get, get rid of the religious cobwebs and start seeing the scriptures for what they really say. Okay. God's going to take care of everybody else, but then his son comes to earth and he's going to let him live on welfare. <laughs> Stop believing Hollywood, okay? God's not afraid of money, but he doesn't want money to be first in our life. Are you listening? God does not want money to be first in your life. You know what he wants to be first in your life? Him. Him. Jesus put it this way, seek the kingdom first and his righteousness. And then what? And all these things will be what? Added unto you. You don't have to go chasing them. You know, stop spending your life, like you said over there, some who were eager for money, what ends up happening? They end up piercing themselves with griefs. Stop chasing money. Stop being obsessed with money. God knows how to get you what you need if your heart's right towards him. You listening to me? In, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says it's a whole, the, the entire four, first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28 are all the blessings that come upon God's people. You know what it says in the very beginning? And these blessings shall, in original language, will chase you and hunt you down and overtake you. God knows where you are. If you keep your heart right towards him, if you will keep your heart generous towards people, if you will invest yourself in the work of God to get the gospel of grace out to as many people as possible, he knows your address, he knows where you are. Are. He knows how to get it to you. Amen? Amen? Put him first. Amen? So now, again, let's balance this out now. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Jesus, tell them a story. Tell them a parable. And this is the story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So we got this farmer here, plantation owner, whatever he is. He's got tremendous harvest coming in from his crops. Verse 17. He thought to himself, what shall I do? Now, the answer to this question really was, if you have this abundance of harvest and all these crops, the, 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 the real answer to that question should have been, let me see how I can divide it up and help others. Let me see, you know, make sure I got my bills paid, make sure my family's taken care of, and let me take the surplus and invest it in other people's lives. What do we have? No, we don't have that. We've got a guy who's very self-centered and selfish. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain, surplus grain. The extra. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Man, that's cold. When God calls you a fool, you a fool. No doubt whatsoever. There's no reason to even talk about it. Don't discuss it. If God says you're a fool, you're a fool. Why was he a fool? Because he, he hoarded what God delivered to him to be distributed. Remember what we're talking about here? Surplus what? Grain. Now, what's, what, what can you do with grain? There's only two things you can do with grain. You either cook it and eat it, or you plant it. Now, if this man had a heart towards God, he would have taken the surplus and said, you know what? My neighbor on the other side of town, his ground's not producing that much. And he's got like six kids. You know what? I'm going to take a couple of sacks of this grain and bring it over to him. And maybe I'll show him what I did with my ground to make my ground productive. And, and this man now will be able to, with, this, with the surplus that I have, because it it's not costing him anything. In fact, it would have saved him money because he wouldn't have had to build a bigger barn, get another mortgage, get an equity loan on the one he had. Okay? So he would have saved himself some money. 
all right? And he would have helped other individuals throughout the community, and that would have been God's way of doing things, right? But no, 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 he's selfish, he's self-centered, he's greedy, he's going to hoard it all. All right? God says to him, you fool, this night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Who did he prepare for? Himself. Verse 21 is the most important verse out of this parable. Look at, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not what? Rich toward God. Can I ask you this question? Does your lifestyle reflect that attitude? Are you rich toward God? Are you holding tight to everything you've got? Like if you let go of this, you're going to sink. Or, or, or are you holding loosely to what you have? Not that you're being irresponsible. You're taking care of your family. You're paying your bills. You're doing what you got to do. You're ensuring the future for the next generations. But what about after that? Are you rich toward God? If God said to you, listen, I know you got such and such X amount of dollars in the bank. I want you to take a certain portion, and I want you to go help this family who's struggling. I want you to pay their car payment. I want you to pay their mortgage. I want you to, what? Are you available for that? Would you, would you step out that way? That's what it means to be rich towards God. If God says to you, listen, I want you to, I'll never forget the one thing that happened back in the late 80s when, when the wall fell in Eastern Europe, when the wall fell in East Berlin and the whole, and the communism was just collapsing. Man, ministries from the United States were rushing to get to Eastern Europe and to Russia. Why? It's open for the gospel. It's wide open. And I'm sitting at home watching TV and I, this certain ministry said, you know, for $100, you can send X amount of Bibles you know, to Eastern Europe, and let's get this now. Let's do it now before other groups come in, and let's win as many people to the Lord as possible. And we were broke at that time. We were just, I mean, I shouldn't say broke. We were in between prosperities, okay? (laughs) But watch now. Watch. I knew we had some gold. We had some jewelry that we weren't wearing, you know, necklaces that had broken and stuff like that, and old stupid gold charms and stuff that we weren't using anymore. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to take that gold. I'm going to bring it to one of these places where they exchange it for cash, and I'm going to I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to buy these Bibles. I'm going to send this money out, you know? And so I, I went and I, I went upstairs and got the jewelry. My wife was at home. She didn't know I did this. So, <laughs> and I only took my stuff. I didn't touch hers. So, so I went into the jewelry place. It was a jewelry place here in town. And I went there and I put the stuff on. I said, make sure you give me the right amount of money, you know, because this money's going to Europe. And so you got, you got relatives there? I said, uh, yeah, I got relatives. I haven't met him yet, but I got relatives there. <laughs> And so, exactly, I needed $100, it came out to $110 exactly. Watch how God, I had $10 for the tithe, the tithe is 10% of your increase. So I took the $10, put it in the envelope, made sure I got to church, took the $100, mailed it. Make sure I got it in the mail, right? Why? Because we're in between prosperities, and that $100 looked real good that day. You know? My wife comes home, and she says to me, uh, uh, I'm $100 overdrawing a checking account. I said, don't talk to me. You got the same God I got. I said, I, I mailed this out. I mailed the check out. It's, it's, it's gone. All right? That was on a Friday. You remember that? It's on a Friday. Sunday we go to church, and my pastor at the time did something I had never done before in my life. He says to me, uh, well, I'm taking your wife out to lunch today. I said, that's good, because I don't know how I'm going to feed our kids, you know, because we're in between prosperities, you know? <laughs> and so he takes us to a place, and pizza place, and sit down and eat, and all of a sudden, he takes a check out of his pocket, puts it on a table, and pushes it over to me. How much do you think that check was? You got it. You got it. So what happened? Bibles went to Europe. Tithe went to the church. $100 went to the checking account. Everybody's happy. That's prosperity. That's prosperity. You listening to me? Don't miss out on those opportunities. 
So he said, this is what happens to people who are not rich towards God. The man died a fool. So let me ask you this question. Let's tackle the second lie. Does God care for our needs? Yeah, yeah. I want to take you to a story and show you how in detail and how specific God cared for the needs of a poor widow. 2 Kings chapter 4. Follow me with this story, okay? A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, now let's stop right there because that's a whole lot of words and you don't know what they mean. This woman's husband was enrolled in Elisha. Elisha's a prophet of God, one of the most, one of the greatest prophets that, that Israel ever saw. He had established what was called the school of the prophets, where people would come who felt like God was drawing their hearts. They would hook up with Elijah, and they would pretty much learn from him the things of God, how to hear from God, how to operate in the miraculous and things of this nature. So her husband dies, okay? Let's follow the rest of the story. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Man, that's a tough position to be in. Tough position to be in. I don't know about you, but I know what it's like to sit up at night and look outside and make sure your car's still outside. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I know what it's like to sit out there and worry, is, is there, are they going to come and repossess the car tonight? Okay? It's a horrible feeling. Okay? This woman is a million times worse. Why? They're coming to take her kids. That's tough, because this woman's a widow. Now, today, it would be tough but there's some programs in place that would help her. Back then, there's no welfare. There's no food stamps. There's no Social Security. There's no TANF. There's, no, there's, there's no, none of that stuff. There's only two things for this woman to do if they take her sons. She's either going to go outside and beg, or she's going to have to sell her body to try to survive. Neither one of them are good options. God knows this. She goes to the prophet, to the man of God. All right? Look at this, verse two. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me what do you have in the house? Oh my God, Just, I hope that statement jumps off the page at you. How many of you have ever had that paralyzing fear of, I don't know what I'm gonna do, I don't know how I'm gonna pay my mortgage, I don't know how I'm gonna pay my car. Oh, it's just me and these two people. How many of you know that paralyzing, okay, good. The rest of you wanna jump in? All right, that paralyzing fear when you know, I can't pay the mortgage, I can't pay the car payment, I can't that fear that comes on you, that letter that comes out of nowhere that you weren't expecting, okay? Your bank account's overdrawn like $500, okay? $500, see, at that point in time is like 10 grand. Yes or no? All right, look what happens. Now, how many would you agree, would agree, when you've been in those times, that if you will settle down, pull yourself out of fear, and get in God's face, that he usually shows you that you already have something, you already have a plan that you can work. Worst thing you can do is make decisions in that, in that place of fear. So watch this now. What does he say? What do you got in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Okay, you got something to start with, right? Verse three, he said to go borrow vessels, go get containers from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and do not gather just a few. What does he tell her? Go next door, go to your neighbor, go across the street, go down the street, go cover your canvas your neighborhood, and go knock on the door and say, give me all your empty margarine containers. Give me all your, your yogurt containers. Give me, because you know, you save those things, right? Okay, if you grew up in a house that I did, oh my God, there's 20 million, 20 million plastic bags in the garage, right? 
uh, all kinds of, every jar that was ever used is washed out, put in a garage, everything is saved, right? Okay. So go get, 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 give me your mayonnaise jars, give me the peanut butter jars, give me the jelly jars, give me whatever you got. Give me, if it's got a lid, give it to me. And what's the plan? Let's see what's going to happen here. And when you come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels, those containers, and set aside the full ones. So she went from him, and she shut the door behind her. I don't know if you realize the significance of how important that statement is. When God's going to do a miracle in your life, keep it to yourself until it happens. Stop blabbing to everybody. Well, you know, the Lord told me this. Just be quiet. Let the miracle work itself out. Because somebody's going to try to talk you out of that miracle. Are you listening? Are, are you getting this today? Somebody's going to try to talk you out of that miracle. They're going to tell you you're crazy. It's never going to happen. It's never going to work. You better kiss your kids goodbye. You're going to lose them. Shut the door. He told her, go in the house and do what? Shut the door. Shut the door. Keep it private for a little while. Keep it between you guys. Enjoy the miracle of the blessing. Okay, you don't have to tell 100 people what's going on in your life. Because, uh, you know, I don't want to cause division here or plant any kind of seeds. But I don't know if you realize this so far in life. Not everybody wants good for you. There's people in your life that are jealous of everything that God's doing in your life. You, don't, you, don't, you, ever, been, you ever been someplace and you go and tell somebody what God's doing and they just, they just dump ice water all over it? I'm the only one. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Go in the house and do what? Shut the door. So she did that. She shut the door. Nobody knows what's going on except her, the prophet, and her sons. So let's see what happened. So she went from him and shut the door behind her sons and brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out, and she poured it out, and she poured it out. It came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil what? Ceased. When did the oil stop? When did the oil stop? When the last vessel was filled. What do you think the next thought, and what do you think the next thing out of her mouth was? Man, I should have got some more vessels. Should have got some more containers. Should have went to that old lady down the street. She surely has some empty containers. Should have went to this. Should have went and emptied out everybody's recycle bin. Now, what am I saying here? Listen to me. Listen to me, okay? Please. If you're going to believe God, believe God big. Believe God big. Don't limit God. God wants, if God's given you an idea, if God's given you a creative thing to do, if he's given you an idea for a product, a service, believe him big. Don't you think she wished she had more containers? Absolutely. Why? Because God will bless you to the point where your faith is. Don't shortchange him. Give him something to work with. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So what happens? She came and told the man of God, and he said, what? Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. So let me ask you this question. Did God care about her needs? Did God care about her needs? Yes. yes. Does God care about your needs? Yes. But give him something to work with. Don't limit him. That's what happened to the nation of Israel. It says that they limited the Holy One. They limited him with their attitude, their attitude of doubt, their attitude of, of just poverty and slavery thinking. They limited him. Don't limit him. There are some of you in this room that God wants to do phenomenally great things through because he knows if he can get it to you, he can get it through you. He'll get it to others. Don't limit him. Let him work through you. Amen? So, let me address this one issue, and then we're going we're gonna to close this for today because we're going to continue next week. Where is the entrepreneurial spirit anymore in the church? What happened to the visionaries? 
What happened to the dreamers? What happens to the ones who would get in God's face and say, listen, if you give me an idea, I'll run with it, I'll work hard, I'll do whatever I can, I'll invest everything I have. Where are they anymore? See, there was a time when there was a lot of them in the church. I'm not talking about just here in New Beginnings, I'm talking about the church world. Where are the dreamers? Where are the entrepreneurs? Where are the visionaries? Where are the ones who would wake up in the morning and go, man, God, give me an idea in my sleep, let's do it. I'm not talking about reckless, irresponsible people, I'm talking about people of faith. The Holy Spirit has wisdom stored up for the righteous. Are you tapping into it? Are you just one of those ones that so many people, you know, something happened corporately to our nation back in 2007, 2008 when everything just collapsed. And it affected the church in worse ways than just money. People started to be afraid to dream and started to be afraid. And people that were declaring faith and people that were declaring, we can do this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, all of a sudden you didn't hear that too much anymore. People backed off on their declarations of faith about how God was good and about how he wanted to meet your needs and about how he wanted his people to prosper so that we could be available to, to change entire communities, to, 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 to house the homeless, to feed the needy, to do it. Where are the entrepreneurs anymore? Where are the ones who said, I'm gonna let God use me and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, amass, uh, I'm gonna amass wealth that I can distribute out to so that I could, I, could, I could house single moms and their children and, and I could develop programs for, for fatherless children and I could do all the, where are the dreamers anymore? What happened to them? What happened to the people like John D. Rockefeller? I'm talking about the original Rockefeller, not, not his children, who believed God, who operated his businesses through, through Christian principles. He made this statement, God gave me money and he never apologized for it. Where are they? Where were those people? How about Truett Cathy? Anybody ever heard of a man named Truett Cathy? Founder of Chick-fil-A, okay? Don't go there today, you wanna know why? Because he operates his business in godly principles. He observes the Lord's day, that's his words, not mine. He closes the business on Sunday so that the families of his employees can have time together. They can go to church. They can worship God. If they don't go to church, they can have family time together. God has blessed that organization tremendously. Okay? What about, what about a person, this man named Strive Masiwa from South Africa, founder of Econet Wireless, a global in telecommunications group, one of the richest men in Africa, gives 10% of his income. Okay? Besides the 10% of his income, he personally, out of his own pocket, has paid for the education of 22,000 orphans in his country. You think that's somebody that God can trust wealth with? Absolutely. Absolutely. What about, what about, did you ever hear of Mary Kay? What about Mary Kay? Anybody heard, ladies, anybody heard of Mary Kay? Mary Kay, she starts a cosmetic business with only $5,000, dedicated it to God, operated in godly principles, was always rich toward God, and what happened? Multi, multi-billion dollar cosmetic business. And the list goes on and on and on. Where are the entrepreneurs anymore? Where are the visionaries? Where are the dreamers? Where are the ones who are daring enough to step out on, on what God told them to do? You don't, think that, you don't think that God cares about the needy? Think about the first time that Jesus met Peter. I'm going to go through this real quick and then we're going to close. I'm going to pick them next week. Going to come back next week? You're going to come back next week? Okay. Because next week we're going to find the solution to all this thing, okay? Watch this now. Jesus is preaching by the side of a lake. When he gets done preaching, he says to, to, to the fisherman, he says to Simon Peter, launch your boat out. Launch your boat out. 
and throw out your nets. And the first thing that pops out of Peter's mouth without even thinking, first thing that comes out of his mouth, which goes to show you the pressure, the anxiety, the stress that this man is under to produce. He says, we've been out all night and haven't caught anything. Nevertheless, because you said so, as an act of respect, as an act of honor, I hear that you're an important person, I'll go out. So he puts his boat out into the deep water. What does he do? Throws the nets out. What happens? You remember the story? Every fish in that lake are obeying the command of their creator. They all show up at Peter's boat. And they, they said their nets were so full that they're about to break. Now watch this. What happens next? He calls for the other boat. He calls for his partners. Why? Because when you get blessed from God, it doesn't just affect your life. It affects everybody around you. And so now they get the overflow. Their boat is almost sinking also because they got so many fish that came out as catch. What, did, what just happened? What did we just witness? The first thing that Jesus does when he meets this struggling fisherman is to deal with the provision that he needs. This man is desperate. We've fished all night and caught nothing. Watch this now. Let me give you some real quick background, then we're going to go. You ready? Historians tell us, archaeologists tell us, that Peter's house is right on the water, right across the street, right on the beach where all the fishermen come in. He's under pressure. Now watch, through the Gospels, you read the Gospels, we know that Peter's got a mother-in-law, right? If Peter's got a mother-in-law, that means Peter also has a wife. And so, so now, I don't know, I'm weird, but just... I, he, he, I picture his mother-in-law outside the window every day. <laughs> Why? Because the fishing boats are coming in, and she's telling her daughter, that bum better bring some fish home tonight. Because, you know, I haven't eaten anything all day today. And she's, she's saying to her daughter, I told you you should have married Matthew, the tax collector. We would have lived good. Imagine the pressure that that man was under, and Jesus recognized it. And when you tell me that he doesn't care about your needs, he doesn't care about the everyday things you're going through, he doesn't care about the pressures of life, of course he does. He knew there's no use trying to reach this man's heart when this man is so preoccupied with the need that he has in his life. He'll do the same thing for you. He'll do the same thing for you if you will dare to believe him, if you will dare to trust him, if you will dare to make what you have a part of God's plan. Are you listening to me? Now, real quickly, I just want to address three groups of people. For those of you that you know exactly what I'm talking about, your lifestyle has been rich towards God. Everything you earn, God has a part of, and I commend you for that. And I just, and I just, just bless you in the name of Jesus for all that you do and for all that you're making happen, okay? For those of you that that was your lifestyle at one point, but you know, financial pressures come in and you started backing off and you start getting, you start getting afraid. I can't give. I can't pay my tithes. I can't, I can't give donations to groups. I can't help the little lady down the street with six kids. I can't because, you know, I got my needs. I pray in the name of Jesus that you allow faith to rise up again in your heart and you begin to once again step out and start including God in your finances. Amen. For those of you that have never developed that lifestyle, maybe you're new to the faith and you never knew any of this stuff. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will allow God to bring you to a place of faith and allow him. And just try it. Just get, try, try it. There's one place in the Bible where it says God, God says, try me in this. Try me in this. Include me in your finances and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you're not going to be able to count it all. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand up? Let's make this declaration of faith and then we're going to go today. Amen? Amen? Just say this with me right now. Father, Father in the name of Jesus, name of Jesus from this day forward, I commit 
Everything I have is in your hands. Whatever you want to do is fine with me. I trust you that you are faithful and you will take care of me and take care of my family and take care of our needs. I trust you. So Lord, whatever you command, I'll be obedient to. I thank you in advance for your blessing upon my life and for the opportunity to bless everyone around me. I thank you for this, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.